You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Hello, this is Abraham, your host. And your co-host, Ryan O. And uh, this is Why We Do What We Do. Yes, so we will be talking about anger and anger management today. Yeah. Um, so I guess we just dive in to yeah, immediately. Straight, like, what is it? Yeah. Let's go. Um, and so I think I want to preface this before we even really start that we're not going to do a deep dive on emotions today. We're going to save that for a later episode where we discuss um, a, a large discussion about. Yeah, that will be massive. Yeah, where we really just tackle all of emotion and what that really is. And that's there's a lot to that. But we're really just going to tackle um, anger management today. And I had, I had a specific, I guess, topic I wanted to take on inside of this okay. but when we tried to do that as just its own discussion it was there were, I don't know it just it didn't really feel right yeah it, it needed a more context did so an, did anger management come up for some particular reason well it was because there was a smaller topic um, in, in terms of it was a way of dealing with anger that I had heard and I wanted to talk about just that but without discussing that in the context of anger management overall it it didn't really work. It just felt like it was kind of weird and it was, it felt like it just needed something more. So we, d uh, I decided, you know, let's, let's lump this all together inside of this idea of anger management. And that way we can talk about a little bit of what anger is, where it comes from, and also a little bit about uh, some strategies to do anger management that includes that smaller topic that I had prepared for. Yeah. Um, but that, that way we can sort of lump all those things together. And I think this will be a great jumping off point to some other strategies we're going to talk about when we do start to talk more about emotion, that we have a little bit of framework around this. Cool. Yeah. I was just curious. So anyone listening, like how we deal with this typically when it comes to topics is one of the, one of us will text the other saying, Hey, we need to do a topic on this <laughs> yeah. or a, a discussion on this topic. And then that's usually where it ends. And then we prep our notes, we sit down. So I was wondering like, where did this come from? You know, most of the time I get my ideas for episodes from reading about something in the news, which I mean, part of this was the idea that I wanted to be able to talk about things that were commonly heard about psychology, either on like social media or um, I don't really have that. So um, on like news websites and blogs and that sort of thing. And so the, or even on other podcasts. So something came up for me about this, and I don't remember where it was now, but it was this this tiny topic inside of anger management. But anger management, I think, is is a great topic to tackle um, and and bring everything together that way. Okay, great. So we got to start by kind of defining where it came from. Yeah, and so the word emotion um, is comes from the Latin word emovere. I'm probably saying that wrong, but uh, emovere is to move out, stir up, or agitate. And, um, and that's, ju that's just emotion. That's not anger specifically, but I was looking at some other ways to describe this and, uh, I, I decided, well, let's just see what the APA, the American Psychological Association has to say about this. It's a great resource. Yeah. And so they say that <laughs> anger is an emotional state that varies from mild irritation to intense rage. Sound good to you? Uh, it's a starting point. Okay. <laughs> I noticed some problems with that I, that definition, at least in terms of understanding what we're talking about when we say anger and what that means. Yeah. Um, which Let's is that it. it seems to me that mild irritation is just saying angry anger with different words and intense rage is also saying anger with different words. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of emotions are hard to describe. They right? are. Absolutely. And, and we, we use metaphors to describe emotions a lot of the time. Yeah. And I feel like they're on a continuum. Um, or talked about as on a continuum like this. So I see where it's coming from. At sure. Least. But 
just this idea of saying that it's an emotional state. Okay, we're great there. We know anger is an emotional state and it varies. Okay, that's fine. Cool. But then we say from mild irritation to intense rage, that would be like, okay, I want to define happiness. So I'm going to say happiness is mild happiness to a, a extreme happiness. Like that's not, that's not a definition, right? That doesn't tell you anything more about it. Yeah. And I think that what's really missing in, in this piece of understanding what anger is, is bringing in the part that context is so important. Because when we look, when we start to talk about anger and where it exists and therefore how you deal with it, you have to really take into consideration what are the events that provoked that type of response. Yes. Yeah. So that was where I was uh, immediately the first thing I was reading about anger. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. We've already gone too far. We need to take a step back and really deconstruct this a little bit better. Um, but the APA also described about anger coming from two sources, either external or internal. And their example for an external source is like being stuck in traffic. Okay. Or is, Road rage. Exactly. Or maybe being hit by somebody, something where something happens to you. And mm-hmm. then the internal source is uh, the example that they give is such as worrying about personal problems or like stress and that sort of thing. Okay. But again, this is one where I was thinking about aren't personal problems external? Like those are things that are happening to you. And so, yeah. I mean, I guess the worry part could make you angry, but you're only worrying because you have those external problems. Yeah. I don't know. It just seemed like maybe that wasn't a useful distinction to make there. Yeah. It's made everywhere though. So prepping for other shows that we're going to be recording upcoming, like the internal external, it's just a, it's a thing that's there always. That's true. That's a good point. So there are situations that are going to evoke these emotional responses. There's this context for that. And that is then correlated with these changes in your biology and your, your physiological being. Um, and so, for example, what, what might that consist of? Definitely an increased heart rate. Mm-hmm. Blood pressure should increase as well. Um, it can make it more likely that you're going to do a lot of other things is mm-hmm. usually how this ar- I hear this is kind of argued. Mm-hmm. There's what other collateral things? So uh, can turn red. I'm thinking cartoons. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's how it's what, depicted. Yeah. Well, and I think I've had the sensation where I actually felt warmer when I was mm-hmm. angry. Like I felt like my body was was increased temperature, and you know I'm like ready to take off my jacket because I'm like oh so mad right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've also had the experience where I just felt a heightened sense of arousal overall, you know, just this more ready to leap into action to do something. That's what I was trying to kind of get at. Right. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. Tendency and there, to do something. And there are some, you know, there are hormones that are associated with these emotional states that those levels change. Um, there is neurotransmitters that are going on, all of that sort of stuff. We talked a little bit about in neurobabble, how that people can use those terms that just sort of throw things around. But legitimately there are things that happen um, at the biological, physiological level and neurologically, of course, because everything we do involves our brain. Yes. And that those are all associated with these changes in those circumstances that we then fe- have these experiences that we feel something, right? Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to highlight that we are acknowledging that we all feel anger. I did not want to come into the saying that anger is not a thing. It very much is. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've had, I've been driving a car. I know what it's like to be out there, but instead it's, to look at or just be able to talk about anger in, in such a way that we're involving the whole context. You have you have to have both the the circumstances and you're going to have the biological changes and then you're going to have your reaction to all of that together and how that can change the context such that it affects how you behave in those situations, okay? Awesome. All right. Now, going back to this idea that there are these sources of anger. And so yeah, just before we get into the strategies, we're still wrapping up sort yeah, of what yeah. anger is. 
there are um, essentially it's very common to find anger in the situations where there is some form of aversiveness or unpleasantness that's going on. Um, either it's like straight up punishment or it's painful or something like that. Yeah. And in these situations, especially when it's happening to us by someone else, but it doesn't always have to be, obviously I, you know, you can get angry at a vending machine for failing <laughs> to provide the candy you wanted. Um, but anytime that there is a situation where you're doing something and there is a negative consequence of doing that, that. Um, is very commonly associated with the experience of anger. It's very seldom the case that we're getting everything that we want in life and we're like, I'm so mad right now, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and there's other ones too of just when you're putting in a lot of effort and there's you're just not getting the payoff. That's another common situation where there can be um, a, a lot of ex- experience of anger. And then another one I wanted to tie in though, because it's easy to look at just you have – Something bad is happening to you or something good is not happening to you. But what about those situations that are more language based, like when someone says something offensive and then you might feel angry at that? I mean, what do you think about that? So uh, first thing, they're just as real as the other circumstances, right? Yeah, totally. Um, I like the distinction and being able to kind of separate them between... So this is where that internal external stuff kind of comes back up for me. Ooh, good point. I see why people bring the internal external in. Uh, for me, that whole kind of argument of like the external kind of makes the internal happen. I kind of get behind that. Okay. Does I see. That so, so it's almost like one leads to the other, which leads to the yeah, other. I like, gotcha. Yeah. Um, step one, bad that thing make, happens. Yeah. <laughs> step two, language about bad thing happens. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. And it's not that uh, one is more value or more important than the other necessarily, at least in my perspective. Sure. I guess my other thoughts on the fly are there's, there's different emotions that come up sometimes, not just the anger. Oh, okay, yeah, good point. I would feel like. Um, I don't know if I call being offended being angry, but maybe offended leads to angry. Okay, I can or, see that. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's tricky. I just realized I made no reference whatsoever to the movie Inside Out in here, even though that would be a great reference since that movie is all about emotions. <laughs> Moving but, through a, a title in there. Uh, well, I think when we get to the emotions episode, that'll be a lot more uh, relevant to that discussion. Mm-hmm. But there is a character in there whose name is Rage, I think, or Anger. And so um, that would that is related at least to this. Yeah. But, so I, I think the larger discussion on words like offended is it now is this language-based thing. R- yeah, yeah, right? totally. And I guess looking at the way that we can have these emotional angry responses to things where it is based primarily around language is that the process isn't necessarily different in terms of it's something bad is happening to us or something good is not happening to us when it should be, is that we can create those circumstances um, with the symbolic communication of language. So when someone says something that's offensive, that's not like something that's physically harmful happening to Mm us that type of language exists in a similar context as those bad things happening to us. So saying something that is offensive is a similar idea to doing something harmful to someone. It's just doing it with words because again, we can react to words as if they were the real thing, even though they don't have the exact same properties and also also not necessarily the exact same outcomes. It's important to point out though that, you know, the idea that you can, in fact, do psychological harm to someone with language is obviously different from doing um, physical harm from someone. And I'm not advocating to do either of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally, we're doing no harm to anybody. Um, but there there are going to be situations where that occurs. And um, just knowing, I guess, how to make that distinction when we're talking about why is it that something that is simply language-based can evoke this angry response? Well, it's because 
the language is symbolic in its nature, but the way that that process works is the same regardless of the physical event or the language-based event, in a sense, and sort of generally speaking. Okay. And, Solid. Okay. And the last thing I really want to point out that before we start uh, really going into the strategies of how we deal with anger is it's really important to note that anger is not in and of itself a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it probably is very evolutionary advantageous to have that kind of reaction to circumstances where bad things are happening to you. Because if you have that physiological reaction of I'm aroused, I'm ready to fight or flee or, you know, do whatever it takes, like those are situations where it's going to, you're more likely to do what you need to do to survive and be successful in that circumstance. So it makes a lot of sense that this would be an evolved trait of some kind. And there are, you know, there are arguments about, whether or not emotions are um, like universal or culturally bound. And again, we can get into that in our emotions discussion, mm -hmm. but it, it makes sense to say that um, anger is not necessarily a bad thing. What really is important in this discussion is talking about how do we interact with it in a useful and productive manner and not allow it to be that anger is the, it gets in the way, I guess, of having a fulfilling life. Yeah. And it's always going to be, just to point out again, like it's always going to be kind of subjective and different for each of us to some extent, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we're going to experience it different ways. We're going to react to it different ways. And one important thing is that anger itself is not the cause of the actions that we take. Anger is correlated with the circumstances and then that changes how we then uh, feel, I guess, uh, interact with those circumstances. But the anger, first of all, it doesn't cause it's what not, we do. Yeah, it's not the causal mechanism. It's a part of the larger yes. event. Yes. And we've said that in, in different ways many times. But yeah, anger is a part of the situation. It is not the cause. It is just an element of it. We really made you mad off of that. Please give us a call or shoot us an email. <laughs> yeah. um, that's not the intention. It's just kind of describe a different perspective. So it looks like you, I'm going to shift gears here. Yeah. Uh, it looks like you found similar strategies that I did or kind of like uh, the strategies fall in similar categories. Yeah. So I see here on, on your notes, three strategies for dealing with anger, expressing, suppressing, and calming. Right. Yeah. And this comes from, again, this, this was from the APA uh, resource that I was looking at. And, but I also looked at various others and they all had, a similar sort of summary of strategies for dealing with anger. But yeah, so the one that I was looking at, the expressing means you're acting on your anger. It's often verbalizing it, you're yelling at somebody or you're punching somebody or whatever it is, it is you are taking that, uh, that feeling that you have and you are uh, acting on that feeling in a particular way. Yeah, and I, just to mimic off that, I found express it uh, was something that was coming up everywhere yeah, as well. Perfect. Yeah. So that you lines up exactly, exactly with it. Yeah. Cool. The next one I found was, uh, stuff it away, which is very similar to your suppressing. Yeah. Yeah. And this one was sort of turn it inward. This is people who are going to go sulk in a corner and they're going to be really quiet and just won't say anything. Um, and they might just be thinking a lot of negative things about their situation, um, which is to say that they might have a lot of language about this, but they otherwise don't act on it. Yes. And they just sit there and sort of let it boil, you know? Yeah. What I found. Yeah. It's all, it's kind of encouraged to push it internal. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so this, can be um, associated with some of those, again, I get confused about this whole external internal thing because if we're talking about the the cause, well, in this case, you have the, the emotion and you're just, you know, you kind of hold it in and that's not a cause. That was sort of an effect of what happened. But anyway, here, neither here nor there. I guess the point is just when we're talking, we've talked about expressing the acted out or suppressing, which is to sort of keep it in yeah. and not act on it. Um, and those are the two strategies that have people have used in the past which brings us to number three. 
Number three, I had uh, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And that seems like it's similar to the stuff it away, but it's actually different. Mm-hmm. And this one was the third one I had, calming. And the overlap is actually pretty much the same in terms of the overall uh, effect and strategies of that. But the, the the description I had was that when you're doing this calming, this is practicing strate- strategies to decrease your level of arousal and your level of emotional like heightened sensitivity to that situation. All right. So one other thing that I found in this like get rid of it strategy is also that there's this, and it's not always there, but it kind of implies, or it's explicitly talked about in some different pop psychology articles of getting rid of it also entails uh, the act of not thinking about things. They say, don't think about this, this anger and try to actively not do those sort of things, which I've seen talks and discussion from the philosophy to the theories, to the research, and people stand on both sides. I stand on the side of the research of like when you say things like, hey, don't think of a pink elephant. What'd you just think of? <laughs> Likely the pink elephant, right? Like right. it's hard to not think about things. And I don't want to dive into that specifically. Like there are some holes in that example, but mm-hmm. the act of not thinking about things does imply some sort of thinking probably. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. And I don't think that's where the best strategies are at the end of the day. So I guess the the calm, the get rid of it was different from the calming in that it can imply this idea of just don't do it, which yeah. isn't. I don't know if that that doesn't seem like a useful recommendation for someone who like you're angry. Stop it. Yes. Stop feeling angry. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know if that's that's going to work. At least in the sense of uh, what what I was seeing in, in the overlap there. I guess I sort of just derived my own interpretation of the discussion of get rid of it that was similar to do something that allows you to calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I I totally see what you're saying and that the language in there does seem to just imply just don't do it, which is kind of a silly thing to recommend when it's like an emotional reaction to something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, you also sound, found some, uh, some tactics on YouTube. Oh, yes. So I always like to jump onto YouTube. Uh, there's a lot of especially younger traffic that goes there. So I'm curious what resources are on there. I looked... And there's definitely a continuum of uh, either caring kind of supportive videos all the way to like straight up scare tactics of like, if you're feeling anger, then it's going to lead to someday uh, you dying because of the core, the correlation that happens with people that are angry tend to like live less. Wow. And it was just straight up brutal and not well put together. Yeah. And the comments section reflected that which I was actually happy to see to some extent Yeah. Um, of like, we don't need content out there specifically trying to scare people into things. It was just so weird. I think um, there's actually some good research to show that the whole scare them straight approach doesn't really work yeah. in most situations. Um, so especially trying to scare someone out of uh, an emotional reaction to something seems again, yeah, and maybe not the most productive per- route to go. Yeah. That particular channel uploaded that in 2007 and they've since shifted their channel a lot. Oh, okay. So it was pretty cool to see that, but come a long way in 10 years. Yeah. There's a lot of strategies out there and I, I literally just filtered off of the most views to see what kind of is getting the most traction gotcha um, and it was the top two videos were on those two far ends of the continuum wow um, so there's a lot out there that sounds sort of emblematic of the internet in general <laughs> you yeah. get one extreme or the other <laughs> yeah um, so that, that was about it like the the quick sample on whether it's the pop psychology sort of articles or the various uh, other sites and resources like this, YouTube being one, like we have a continuum of stuff all over the place. Yeah, as you said, not the best way to handle these situations, um, at least the as you mentioned, the whole scare tactic and 
you trying to basically use language to undermine the physiological aspect of it, uh, which I mean, there are elements of that that have worked in other circumstances. But again, I, I question the utility of this. Yeah. And it seems like the research also has not been in support of that type of strategy. Yeah. So we, we kind of broke on our show notes here into two different areas. So you jumped in expressing. Let's jump that. And right. We'll jump into what I kind of found, too. Yeah. And so this was to talk about, I guess this was the the element I originally just wanted to tackle was just expressing, just expressing anger as a strategy for dealing with anger. And again, the, the reason that I was motivated to do this was because this had come up somewhere where I'd, I'd read about it and, um, or heard about, it. I don't even remember what it was now, but this idea that if you act on your anger, that that's the best strategy for dealing with your anger. And this, um, and th- this shows up in a lot of different ways for a lot of different emotions in different places. But this whole, you know, if you're angry, then what you should do is you should, you know, s- just express that emotion as much as you can. Let it all out. Go break something. Go nuts. One thing that I, I saw in here was this, uh, this idea that you try and do a lot of something that you don't want to do in order to reduce in the future. So someone who maybe swears a lot is about to go into an interview and they're like, okay, I'm just going to swear a whole bunch before I get in there so that I get it out of my system. Right. Yeah. And, or, or, you know, I, I tend to get really angry in this. So before I go in, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this, the snot out of this punching bag and, and that. And so that way I get all of it. And I can see where the sort of metaphorical parallel exists in terms of when you have a lot of energy, if you exercise, you have less energy, you feel less energy, right? You yeah. feel tired. And so you've mm-hmm. sort of exhausted that how much you really had to burn and get rid of is now out. Okay. And so there's this idea that we have this reserve of behaviors. And so by using those behaviors, we deplete the reserve. Okay. Yeah. And so another idea, like, let's say you, uh, maybe you're someone who tends to be a little bit goofy and a little bit silly. And so if you're, if you, need to be serious. Maybe you spend some time getting all your silliness out so that later you'll be able to get to be serious. Right. And again, this whole idea of angry aggression, I mentioned all of that again, it, it sort of makes some intuitive sense in terms of some of these things that we felt like, and there are metaphors that also line up with this where we can think about, well, if we have a lot of this thing over here and we just dump it out, it had to go somewhere, but we, we got it out of there. Now that that reserve has been depleted, it's gone. Okay. It's, it's, odd that we think we just have this reserve that we can tap into at any one point, right? Yeah. I mean, the problem is that's just not really how uh, behavior and psychology works. We don't necessarily have something where we, I mean, there is to an extent, if you, if you talk long enough, your voice will run out. You won't want to talk yeah. anymore. <laughs> and, but there is an element of that. But what you're really also doing is you are building your endurance to talk a lot. And if you think about this idea of uh, when you're angry, you have this heightened scent, uh, uh, heightened sense of emotional arousal of, okay, well, if you start punching a punching bag or a pillow or screaming into a pillow, well, what you've done is you've elevated your level of arousal and then gone into a situation where you're likely to have elevated arousal. So it's sort of like you're baseline now is 10 notches up from where it would normally be that's not going to help you deal with that situation that particular um in that particular situation and i like on that psychology today article they specifically said you can't punch your way out of anger and uh on the apa website they went a step further and said this idea of expressing your anger to deal with it is a dangerous myth Um, totally yeah because and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but what you're really doing in the situation is all you're doing is you're practicing more of that behavior. In this case, this isn't you're depleting a reserve. What you're doing is you're building your strength and endurance for that type of pattern of behavior. And you are therefore more likely to do it 
with greater intensity <laughs> yeah. in the future. So if you go in an interview and you're swearing a lot, what you're really doing is building up, um, you know, to try and get that swearing out, you're building up a pattern and habit of swearing as part of your language. Yep. Then you go into your interview and you have this pattern and habit of swearing. So you've actually made it far more likely that you're going to do a lot more swearing in that particular situation. Yes. Yeah, so it's a good example of like how highlighting things that seem logical could work against you when it comes to what's actually known about why we do what we do. Right. right. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it is that that whole idea of we can latch on to metaphors really easily. And that's why we use them in clinical practice sometimes to help people deal with psychological problems is metaphors can be really useful. But because they're so flexible, yeah. they can also be kind of dangerous because you can use them to do exactly the opposite. Exactly. And I think that's why largely people just say we got to make sure that we're referring back to a trained person that has experience in these sort of issues. Right? That's a great point. The next area you can kind of look at these is. I am very into right now, at least currently, like how do we orient people towards things, but also get them to use them? Um, and how do we get them to find things that have actually been deemed useful, right? Sure. Because there's so much information and attention that's out there. It's very hard, very hard to, I mean, like a Google search, right? Like you can look on this topic of anger management. Like I could have spent weeks reading there was a lot of hits for this and then <laughs> yeah there was there's like hundreds of hundreds of hours of video that's just on youtube alone that's right. on this sort of stuff fortunately i know what kind of books to turn to for <laughs> yeah exactly. additional resources so, on this yeah but if you're kind of new it's hard to find those sort of things right like partially why we make this sort of podcast totally yeah um, absolutely there's so much out there yeah so i wanted to highlight essentially two different ways that i kind of look at finding these sort of strat or finding what strategies are out there and what works so one of them is this concept of evidence-based kernels. Real simply, the idea is just minimum units of some sort of tactic, strategy, procedure that is shown to work repeatedly in the literature. Okay. That's it. So if you believe in evidence and evidence is part of your world in which you want to kind of rest and lie on, then this is for you. <laughs> Great. Hopefully um, this whole podcast is for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I guess if you're, if you're just finding it on this episode, though. Oh, I see. Um, is where I was kind of coming from. So No, I like that. So 2008 is where they synthesize, essentially, it's like a 70, I don't know what it is, 50, 70 page article. There's like, jeez, there's like 30, I don't know what it is, 20, 30 pages of, I have it up somewhere on a tab here. I'm not going to look real quick, but 20, 30 pages of references alone. Oh, okay. That's and bad, it's then. because they synthesize so much of the research. And so I wanted to pull a couple of those out. And remember, it's just the minimum procedure that'll work. So you, if you have all these things, these little minimal things going, it's going to work. If you take anything out, then it falls apart. That's ah. the idea of this evidence-based kernel. I see. So minimum, it's sort of like you have these components that work, but they only work when they're together. Because there's, there's so often the case in doing um, therapy or other psychological interventions where you have multiple pieces of it that um, are present, but not all of them are always necessary. And so there is a process for deconstructing these treatments so that you really only get to what do you absolutely need. It'd be sort of like you have a headache and I'm like, well, I'm going to give you these 10 pills. Really only one of them do you need, but I'm gonna give you all 10 of them. And so figuring out which, which one of those do I not need by choosing, you know, systematically experimenting with the ones that you don't need and then arriving at the one that's the most effective. And that would be in, in your example here the kernel it's the one that's these are the smallest pieces that that need to be there for this to be effective is that right yes that's okay. it perfect so i'm going to have to literally okay we're going to pull one of them so this is called red flag training okay and it's for exposed children or teens with serious emotional disturbance could fall under this this category of anger management right 
um, or they might be likely to need some sort of practice in helping with these sort of things. And they say there's procedures to reduce explosive anger and aggression among children exposed to drugs, neglect, or abuse. Okay. And one of the research articles... Um, Actually, sorry, just to interrupt for one second. That goes back to, again, where does this anger come from? You know, th these cases where you have people who, um, when they've exposed to neglect and abuse, again, those are the bad things that happen to you that are associated with anger. And then drugs also, again, they, they deprive us of our, the things that we need to be healthy and happy. And so you're put in a situation where you're highly motivated to do something to make yourself feel better because things mm -hmm. suck. Right. Yeah. So when, when things, you know, drugs feel great in the moment for most people. Um, but as soon as those drugs wear off, then it's like, you're not even at the level of normal that you were before you took the drugs. You're somewhere below that in a region that's more painful. And, uh, and so to get out of that painful, you either go back to the drugs or you do, you know, you do something cause you just want to make that situation end. But yeah, yes. that's just going back to the, where does this anger come from? I like using the real world examples. Yes, perfect. So to highlight this red flag training procedure, I'm going to pull directly from one of the original articles on it. Um, Nines et al. Uh, Nines is like the main researcher. There was a few others that were on it. Okay. 1991. Um, I'm going to quote directly from it. So it says, as students gain proficiency in their new skills, they're working on self-management, kind of self-tracking sort of skills, what they're mm -hmm. referring to there. Uh, the teacher and the psychologist arrange subtle tests using difficult conditions that might be found occasionally in mainstream education. This was in a school setting, by the way. These difficult situations, or quote, red flags, occurred randomly throughout the school day to each student in the class. So for example, students were assigned uh, excessively difficult work, distracted by classmates uh, when the teacher was out of the room, and even unfairly corrected by the teacher. About five minutes after this red flag test, the teacher informed a student that he, had, uh, he or she had been red flagged, in quotes again, I'm gonna use that, and uh, asked him to assess or her to assess and record his or her response to this stressful condition. As in other self-management training, a student assessment that matched the teacher's assessment earned a bonus point. On occasion, when the teacher was unavailable to observe a given red flag, a bonus point was re uh, provided regardless. So I did paraphrase a little bit in there, but um, so what they did is they worked on practicing, then they gave them these situations in which this red flag, right, occurred mm -hmm. and saw how they responded and worked on rewarding that sort of appropriate response in the moment. Right? So basically this goes back to this idea, and I just love this, that there was a specific context in which anger was likely to occur. And the, and the red flag training here was to teach these kids that were likely to have anger to identify that that context was occurring. Because a lot of times these contexts occur, we don't necessarily think about, oh, this is something that's going to make me angry right now. But instead it's this sort of reaction to what's going mm -hmm. on. And so if you can identify, uh oh, I know this is a situation that I need to be careful around that, mm -hmm. that, that that in and of itself was um, likely to decrease their um, uh, their reactions to it. Does that summarize that? Yeah, correct. So to be specific, this procedure is used to reduce explosive anger and aggression amongst children exposed to drugs, neglect, abuse mm -hmm. is where the history is. So this concept of evidence-based kernels is new-ish. Uh, there's different people talking about it in different ways. And essentially, there's... I guess I'm kind of hesitant because you only speak to which the research has kind of showed it effective for so far, right? Right, yeah. yeah. There's, there's always more research at. that could be done. Yeah, so their kind of idea is that this could be turned into a very big project, which maybe I could get into someday on the podcast because I want to cool. build that. So if this interests you, I'm going to do a quick plug. Email us. I'd like to talk to you specifically. You, you the listener. <laughs> yes. Another one real quick that I think we can cover a lot faster. Yeah, go, go for it. Is self-modeling. So 
This would be things that are either drawn, photographic, or video model of the actual viewer or listener. So like the student in this case would draw or photograph or kind of video out themselves doing the process and engaging in the actual targeted be appropriate behavior that we're talking about. And then they receive rewards or recognition for that actual thing. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, okay. that's great. So this one has all sorts of things that have been shown across the research. And the research here for this one is, uh, I don't know, I'm just kind of glancing about 20 or 25 different research articles that they summarize. So they said they see increases in academic engagement, increases in attention, increases in recall and long-term memory, improves behavior generally, reduces dangerous behavior, increases social competence, improves sports performance, and reduced health problems. So it actually also highlights like all the different things that actually go into human nature, right? Well, and this is <laughs> starting kind to of affected. This is starting to overlap with more of the things that we've talked about. Going back to in the red flag one, this is sort of related to the idea when we did the habit reversal episode of identifying those situations in which you're likely to have those habits occur. And note in this case is a similar one of bringing awareness to the situations that are likely to occur in anger. And going back to the self-modeling one, you know, this one, you've got all kinds of components that are going on. First of all, um, going back to this idea of memory is when you are uh, watching these videos or you're watching these models, you are, um, you're creating more cues that are associated with a particular type of recall. So it makes perfect sense that if you practice doing this recall, you're more likely to then have better recall. And another one associated with this, which I don't actually think that we've talked about much, is that this one is giving an example of what to do rather than just not what not to do, right? Yes, that's extremely important. Yeah, so that, that kind of is starting to bring together a lot of these things that we've discussed in the past and things that we will continue to elaborate on in subsequent discussions. Cool. All right. One other resource for a lot of different strategies. So I'm expecting some people to listen to the podcast or in situations where they're kind of like, hey, what would work under our circumstances? If you're in an educational environment, then there's this thing called the What Works Clearinghouse. It's a big, big deal. Yes. <laughs> Have you heard of it? Oh, yeah. 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 A whole. Or I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a whole organization that's based around uh, looking at the evidence for particular practices and inside of academic settings and then prescribing the best course of action uh, and what's best practice by looking at actual evidence and research. Yes. So from their website directly, it says for more than a decade, the What Works Clearinghouse has been a central and trusted source of scientific evidence on educational programs, products, practices, and policies. So they review the research, et cetera, for you is how it kind of goes. Um, so it's pretty interactive. My thing is like, I like to really get into things and know it all. And there is so <laughs> much information on that website. Yeah. Um, no, it's great. And I, you know, I, I don't know actually to what extent a lot of uh, school districts use What Works Clearinghouse. I mean, I hope I hope they use it a lot because it's such a robust source of information for setting a great uh, educational, um, I guess, environment uh, for people to be successful and both in terms of their academic achievement as well as in terms of overall behavior of students and the experience of being in school. Yeah, so they have all sorts of things. It's not just in this behavioral realm or uh, some other topics that they have or I guess like... Uh, categories would be dropout prevention, post-secondary, path to graduation, teacher excellence. Like oh, there's so cool. much stuff that's on there. That's awesome. And uh, so that's particularly useful if maybe you're looking at maybe a curriculum around this or you've been provided one, like you can go see what components work, what don't in that, what the research kind of summary is in a very kind of quick format where you don't have to dive into the nerdy stuff if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. That's what's cool about it. It's a, if you can publish research that ends up being cited in the What Works Clearinghouse, that means you're probably doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Okay, so what's next on our agenda? Well, looking at this in terms of the, you know, we always like to tie in this this view of understanding what are the exact principles around the event that we're looking at and, the, and this idea of anger management. We've actually touched on a lot of these so far. And part of this was the, the view or not even view, the reality, I guess, of when you are practicing a behavior you want less of, you are strengthening that behavior. It, again, this isn't that you're depleting a reserve. It's that you're building your fluency at doing something. So, yes. And then again, going back to this idea of being in a particular uh, physiological state of arousal, that if you get yourself to that state of arousal before the situation where you want to have the opposite effect, I mean, that, that it would be like... You know, I'm, I need to make sure that I don't go into work drunk. So I'm going to drink a lot before I go into work, <laughs> you know, so that I'm not drinking while I'm at work. I'm yeah. like, okay, that, that doesn't, you know, <laughs> you're, you're totally setting yourself up for failure in that particular situation. And so uh, this idea of, as you said, with the modeling thing, when you're practicing the correct behavior or something else, some alternative that has been shown to be one of the more successful strategies for dealing with um, these pro-social behaviors and dealing with situations where you're likely then to be angry. And I think sort of combining some of these is being able to recognize that there is a situation where you are likely to experience that emotion of anger or rage or some kind of level of irritation can be very helpful. And then also knowing like, what is the strategy for behaving in this particular circumstance? Yes. And we'll have some, uh, I, I have some sp very specific strategies, but I think it's also worth just talking about generally how those work and then talking about what they are. Another one that I hear a lot about is this idea that there is a root cause and you have to get at the root cause of the anger. And in all of the reading I have ever done, nobody mm -hmm. has ever described what that actually means. Yes. So I look, the only reason I like to think about root cause is sometimes you focus on like one particular event or circumstance and right. it's not just that one. Yeah. Or, oh, totally. Right. I have actually a great anecdote about that when you're done. So, okay. So yeah, if I, if, so when I like to use root cause and say like, so for example, pra practicing correct behavior is key that we talked about here, right? Mm -hmm. the, the thing we want to actually go for. And my point there is twofold. Like you have to actually like work on shaping that up and making that happen, right? You like there's some sort of way to influence that. Those evidence-based kernels, whatever it is that your strategies are, well, those and, are ways. And presumably in this situation, you you already have well established your reaction of dealing with this in your angry, aggressive way. Yeah. So clearly, what you do not have is the opposite of dealing with an, this in a particularly different way, which means that that is something that, as you just yeah. said, needs to be practiced yeah. and developed. So I think this root cause thing comes in as like, is it really, so like, for example, if you have this like trigger in the moment that sets you off, is that really it? Or is it there's some other underlying extenuating circumstance throughout your life that's also a factor in this anger outburst or whatever, right? So I think of root cause in that sort of way, but you also have to look at like the larger skill sets of the person that you're working with um, or yourself as to like, what do I have that is going good for me, right? That is some sort of behavior that's an approximation towards the correct and response that we're looking for here and how do we kind of bridge the gap. The, the most productive response. Yeah, and how we start bridging that gap towards an appropriate response, right? Yeah, and I guess I think not to poo-poo the whole idea of a root cause because I, looking at this in terms of what are the uh, variables that are related to this mm -hmm. is 
is absolutely considered generally best practice. And we yeah. need to understand, you know, what are the contributing factors here? And yeah. so if you want to, like, that is talked about as the root cause in some ways. I just want to avoid the idea that, like, this root cause is this hidden thing where you need to go investigate and crack open your skull and dig around in your brain. until like, it's, not, it's not like that. Yeah. Um, but there are some very important systematic variables that can be um, understood by running assessments and doing, you know, doing whatever kind of thing you need to do in order to understand what is going on for that person. And yeah. understanding that is going to be critical to developing a good psychological therapy or intervention that's going to help them deal with this in a way that is more in line with their values and their life goals and that sort of thing. For sure. So one example that comes from my life that I have some like self-management data on is if I start skipping gym exercise sort of routines or eating unhealthy for as little as three or four days in a row, then meetings and tougher conversations where I'm at where we're trying to solve problems, I do have a more of a tendency to kind of get uh, irritated, speak up and not be very like pro-social about those sort of conversations. Does that make sense? Totally. Um, so I would look at, yeah, in the moment it might be a hard conversation and like I'm having to deal with my quote anger in that situation, right? Or frustration or whatever it is. But the root cause, and I'm using it loosely in quotes, it's yeah. like there's more variables than just that, right? It's that difficult conversation. It's the fact that those other things are off in my life too. Like that, those play some sort of role. Well, so we've mentioned a guy who um, he's, he's since passed away, but was uh, a psychologist I have a lot of respect for. His name was Israel Gold Diamond. And uh, he talked a lot about this idea of it's not just what's happening in the moment, but the circumstances outside of that moment that also will contribute to your experience here. And so the anecdote that I had about this idea of root cause is, um, as you know, and I haven't talked about this on this show, but um, I've been involved with the foster care system um, recently. And uh, I was hearing some of the stories about some of the kids who have been in the system. And there was one story in particular that struck me where there was a kid for who they didn't have uh, the family who took him in. They didn't have a lot of information necessarily about what happened. And that was because the um, people at the county also didn't have this information initially. And this kid that came into their house as part of the foster system and he seemed to be fine. Like he seemed like he was interacting with people and he was doing great. And then uh, the the first time that they sat down to have a big family dinner um, with him there, he just kind of, he, he flew off the handle. He was, uh, he, he was extremely angry. He was like, refused to talk to anybody. He went to his room. He was breaking stuff. He was hiding and all of that. And um, they really had no idea what was going on. And yeah. what was important was it wasn't what happened in that moment. It was that this kid, he had had a history where really terrible things had happened to him when he was in like a family dinner setting. He, one of his relatives had actually died while he was at dinner from having like a heart attack or something. Um, he had been in situations where dinner time was this really aversive, like almost force feeding and it was food you didn't like and you couldn't talk. And it was a lot of, so being at a table gathered around people around a meal uh, this, this, this is sort of a red flag. You know, this, this was a constant source of fear and anxiety. And um, so he got very upset when that situation presented itself. And, and the response was, get me out of here. Mm-hmm. And there are similar kids in the system where before they end up in the foster system, um, they are at school and they all of a sudden start acting very strange where they start being really aggressive to other students and they start um, not turning in their work and they start talking back to the teacher and come to find out that what's happening at home is that they have been, they've been abused by someone at home or maybe they're getting beat up by a bully at school. But whatever is happening for them is that there is a lot of these negative consequences for them that are happening that are all happening outside the classroom, but because they're so common in this kid's life, 
life that these other places where this kid can have some amount of control over his life, uh, that's where you start to see these um, these types of behaviors show up. It's interesting that one of the article that I was describing on the red flags, they had to explicitly train it in different settings at that point, at least. Interesting. I don't know how far that's gotten because I yeah. was, you know, that was dated in 91. Okay. Um, it was a while ago. But yeah, they had to, they had to bring it in. They had to explicitly work on it in those different contexts. Yeah. Okay. So some other things around strategies for dealing with this is, and I, one of the reasons I wanted to introduce this idea early on about being offended is that um, language can play a huge role both in how we experience our anger and how we deal with our anger. And so a lot of times when we have these situations where our anger is based on or is, I guess, going back to the idea of root cause is related to how we are talking to ourselves and thinking about a particular circumstance uh, means that one approach to possibly take to this is to develop new strategies for thinking about and talking about these situations that are likely to evoke this angry this angry behavior okay and so it's not about telling someone not to be angry it's not about telling them to get rid of that emotion or suppress it it's really a lot more talking about let's take a step back and look at who you want to be in your ideal version of yourself and look at who you are being in this situation mm-hmm. and see and just recognize, like not even look at it and be scornful or angry at yourself for that because that's just creating more of the same. Mm-hmm. But just to recognize it and see like these are very different versions of one is is the one that is in line with the things that are important to you and your values and the direction you would like your life to be going. And one of them is just not. It is it is absolutely getting in the way of you being able to pursue those values. And so part of the conversation that can happen around this is just orienting the individual who's experiencing this anger toward what's important to you? You know, what are the, let's take a step and look at what is the best version of you that you have and, and how can we relate this to compassion, both toward yourself and those around you and, and the goals that you have and the values that you have that, that orient you toward those goals. And then start to identify when there are these situations that things get in the way for you, um, of meeting those goals. And that, that can be a source of frustration, but also when we get hung up on and get locked into that emotion, of anger and frustration around that situation, then you're not moving out away from it. You're just stuck there. You're just hanging out in this place of just being angry all the time. And so uh, one of the strategies can be just to recognize how your language is contributing to that experience and then being able to sort of take a step back and look at that from a, I guess, a, a more, I don't know, mindful view of, uh, of, of where, of what you are doing and how that is getting in the way of those values. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strategy that I started largely the store strategy something I, I started practicing in like 2011 okay more like formally and i was trying to do something about it you know daily kind of some check-ins or something like that my methods changed immensely i was actually going to ask you this had come up in a previous discussion we had had where you had said that you don't really i think it was in our gender episode you said you don't really cry anymore you don't really get to this point where you are so emotionally aroused that you have these breakdowns because you've developed these strategies and i thought this might actually be a good point for you to sort of share part of that story, if you're willing to, about just what what specifically you changed in your behavior that allowed you to deal with these things in a way that was more effective for you. I just want to be clear, like I'm comfortable sharing whatever, uh, just it is one person's story. It is not yeah. like the 
the end all be all, right? That's, I think there's almost a general disclaimer we just put yeah, on all yeah, of our episodes that yeah. we talk about these things that they, they do work for some people. They have sometimes worked for us. And also some people are going to have circumstances for which this doesn't always apply. Yeah. I guess one that I've, I've repeatedly kind of hit on is like I have these grand visions and things that I'd like to kind of build out either business-wise or see like happen in the world. So That's things. so true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and that could be all over the place. And I'm also not happy with things, like things could never go fast enough. Now I realize there's a lot more to that when it comes to building out businesses or building out things like this podcast, like there's a lot of things that go into them. So as I've learned more, I've realized how to, like what goes into it, I guess, and like how to build out a better system and approach towards tackling those sort of things. I'm trying not to bring up like a specific example, but like I see various things on social media or different business initiatives in our field and stuff like that. I'm just like, and it'll, it'll get me frustrated because it's like, this isn't the way, it's it's not quite right, I'll, I'll think sometimes, right? So one of my self-management things that I tracked actually in 2014 to 15 was what we called rhino rants. <laughs> <laughs> so these were some things that would happen as a result of me seeing something or whatever, kind of getting angry and just venting to colleagues and coworkers close to me. So is this the the expressing strategy of dealing with anger? Yes. Okay. Um, and what it was is, I mean, it could vary anywhere from like three minutes to like three hours where I was just like, Jeez. it led to conversations and those three hours were extreme things. So it was like a Friday night and yeah. that would lead to something that, you know, a really long discussion around. It sounds exhausting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was one of those things where it was useful for me to an extent to like speak up about it, but it wasn't leading to like solutions at the end of the day, right? I gotcha. So over time it was kind of like, hey, when those things pop up, like what can I do, you know, in the moment to start actually building out more of the infrastructure or the approach or whatever to solving those sort of systemic problems if I really cared about them. If I didn't care about them, then I just kind of sidestep them and figure out what I cared about in the moment and just move towards that, right? Yeah. So I could I can say Rhino Rants are, are down a lot That's good. <laughs> compared to where they were. Yeah. They still happen, but like it's more of like a once a week sort of thing rather than once a day sort of thing. That often, huh? You just still you seem but, like not a ranty person to me anymore. No, I guess it would be like thirty seconds or two or three minutes here and there when they oh, okay. happen. Like they're they're very much down. That seems reasonable. They're enough that I just don't track them anymore. Like I'm okay. cool with it. They're they're very they're fine. And like, it wasn't pushing away friends or anything like bad for me. You know, I want to express that. Okay. Um, it wasn't like just full out anger that was going on there. Yeah. Um, but there were things that were kind of slowing me down to the longer term goals and that sort of stuff. Does that make sense? Totally. You know, in terms of, uh, having a way to talk about what one does when faced with a challenging situation to, be able to deal with it in a way that, cause again, it's okay to be angry. Like yeah. we're not saying that angry is not appropriate. It's how you deal with the anger and how the anger can, if dealt with inappropriately come to mm -hmm. be the most dominating experience yeah. in your day or in your life. That's where it can start to get in the way of, of having, you know, sort of a psychologically healthy sort of yeah, experience. For sure. Yeah. And I didn't like feel unhealthy. It was just like the time I was spending on doing that. Like I realized was a lot more than I wanted to. Yeah. And that's where I was like, I need to pivot this. So some things that were kind of key, I think were, having some empathy towards the situation, both myself and like others, right? Like understanding perspectives of like why this is occurring. That makes a lot of sense. And then I realized there's a lot of skill development and like growth on my part that I need to do to be able to figure out how to handle these sort of situations. My general system for like how I was going to accomplish my goals, goal setting, like structuring those out and kind of the project management myself around them. 
those were things that I looked at little things like the exercise stuff that I was talking about. Like I really put that at the forefront always every day. Gotcha. Um, and that's been a big strategy to help. So it was, it was looking at what my skills were, what my strengths were, and then starting to build out broader perspectives around me, uh, that taught me a lot of things that turned out to be really useful. And I still do that and learn a lot from it every day. That's awesome. And you know, I, I definitely had the experience of it's, it's hard to see, yourself from the outside in situations where you are maybe doing something you wouldn't want to see yourself doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I definitely had a, a problem um, with, you know, road rage where I would just get so angry at traffic and people driving around me. And I, I explicitly remember one situation where someone had, had gotten in an accident and I was like, how dare you get on an accident on a freeway where I am driving? <laughs> like that was my, and I kind of realized at that moment, I'm like, man, that is a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> that is a very inappropriate reaction to have. And on top of that, my doing that around other people where I was the driver, I mean, first of all, that's very off-putting to be around. But second of all, when you have people who are a little bit impressionable and then they start to pick up those kind of behaviors because going back to that idea of where you demonstrate the appropriate behavior in those videos you mentioned, in this case, I was not demonstrating the appropriate behavior. And when I saw those people then start to act how I was acting when they were driving, and that sort of gave me that outsider's view of what it looked like when I would react to driving situations that way, also really forced me to have that perspective of, wow, this is not how I want to be. This is yeah. not what I want to show up with other people. And I also have to take responsibility now for having been this to these people. And unfortunately, I can't take that back, but I can change how I behave in the future and begin to uh, demonstrate the more appropriate response to these situations. And quite frankly, it just isn't important for me to get upset about traffic. You know, I can sit there and rant and rage all I want, and that's not going to change the fact that I'm stuck in traffic. Mm -hmm. Actually, the other day, um, I got stuck in traffic really badly, and it made me late to work. I didn't sit in my car and rage at the fact that I was going to be late to work. You know, I just, I called them. I said, this is what's going on. They knew about the accident. So it wasn't necessarily a big deal. And I was like, well, I guess I use this time to uh, listen to a podcast. Yeah, so and, you, <laughs> I bet you anything you caught up on your podcast. That was exactly what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, it just, it wasn't worth it for me to sit there and get angry about that. That wasn't a situation where that was going to be helpful for me. You know, when people have done something that have, that is hurtful to me or hurtful to someone I love, and I can change that, then that can be maybe a useful situation to be, to be angry about that. But then I still need to deal with that anger in a productive way. Okay. So there's some other common strategies that people have probably heard for dealing with anger. And I'm just going to quickly go through them since we've already been on this for quite some time. But one of them is just counting. And the overall recommendation that people will hear is count to 10 if you're angry and to 100 if you're very angry. And the question is then, does this work? And based on the research that I was finding, uh, yeah, it kind of does. And it, it's not the, the best, it's not the only cure, it's not the best cure, but what it does is it removes you from that situation temporarily. You are you're focusing your attention on something else and you are, um, you're in, practicing a different type of behavior. Now, what can happen in these situations is that if you're in a situation that makes you angry and your reaction to that is to just count, well, then counting might begin to make you angry. <laughs> but it at least can be a temporary placeholder of, I just need to step away from the situation for a moment. How can I do that? Counting is potentially one strategy. In a similar vein to that, taking deep breaths and just sort of practicing some of those relaxation techniques of, you know, People have recommended clench and unclench your fists. I've never found that to be particularly helpful for me or for anybody I've ever given that advice to, but some people it works for them. But if you have this heightened sense of arousal, then 
trying to bring down that scent, that arousal is, you know, it's actually a very intuitive sort of strategy. And so taking slow, deep breaths can lower your heart rate um, and can bring down your blood pressure and that can help a little bit. And so that's similar to this idea of counting. It also um, removes you from that situation temporarily so that you're just dealing with it in a different way. And then the other one is, and we've talked about this sort of at length already, is just you have some other response that's ready to go. Of Like, this is a situation, I know I'm getting angry, or I know that I'm going to get angry, I have some kind of strategy that I'm going to do something else. So it's not just don't get angry, it's do something else, find something productive to do. And for a lot of people, um, and this, you actually sort of explained this already, exercise is a one that there's some research to indicate that... If you go and you uh, you exercise, and not just when you're feeling angry, but if you make exercise part of your regular habit, that that can overall reduce that level of arousal that you might have. And so by doing exercise, and especially regularly, and you can do it in response to those situations, that that's a more productive way of dealing with situations where you have that, that heightened level of arousal. And the last one that I had... And this is related to this idea of how we use our language is to help. And this one helps actually me quite a bit is this looking at this in terms of when you are experiencing this, uh, this anger, both in terms of it might be a language based thing or something else. And you want to deal with that in a more productive manner. And again, not advocating that you just shut it all inside and not advocating that you go out and you punch someone, but you do have to deal with it in that situation. And so looking at this in terms of, okay, I get really pissed off in the situation. What is the payoff for me? What am I getting out of this that is uh, that is enabling my anger? And a very common one for people is that when you are in situations where you get angry at someone, being angry at them allows you to feel like you're right and you're justified in your reaction to things. And you can come up with all kinds of reasons why what someone did was wrong. And you might even be correct that what they did was wrong. But in that situation, lashing out at them, that then creates those circumstances for them that's you know something negative happening in their world where then they're likely to lash out back at you, right? And so having that um, emotional reaction to things is just going to snowball into this larger and larger problem. And so looking at, okay, in this situation, you do this thing that irritates me so much, and what am I getting out of the situation? Well, in this particular case, it allows me to be justified in, I feel angry, therefore I feel just in my uh, reaction to you. I also think, you know, I'm not saying this to you, but I know that I would do this the right way, and you are clearly doing it wrong, so it allows me to be right and you to be wrong. But when you do this, and you have these justifications, there's also that comes to the cost. Uh, and in this particular instance, I'm sacrificing a work relationship or a personal relationship. I'm certainly not taking steps to actually improve the situation because rather than make the correction or give someone feedback or have a fruitful discussion about what needs to happen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to get really angry about it. And I'm going to have either a violent reaction that's not going to change anything and is just going to make someone mad at me, or I can have a productive conversation that might actually have the intended outcome. And it's also entirely possible, I have discovered, that sometimes I'm just wrong. Mm-hmm. And so when I have that conversation, yeah, right. <laughs> me too. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I used to, when I could just be angry about it, well, then I had, I, I wasn't wrong. I was always right. Cause I was angry and that was how I felt about it. But instead, if I look at this and I, and I stop and I have that conversation with someone, then I might actually discover, Oh, what you're doing makes perfect sense. I get it now. Um, I 
probably my reaction to this wasn't necessarily the right one to have. Yeah. And so really just tying this back to what is important to me and what is important, uh, what are my values and how am I going to react to the situation that allows me to pursue those values and not have this get in the way of my ability to pursue my values. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's sort of what it comes down to. And I have just found this enormously helpful. And I like, Sure, I get angry sometimes, like anybody else. And again, feeling angry is not a bad thing in and of itself. It is how you deal with the anger and how that gets in your way. But even I'm a very excitable guy. I get very mm-hmm. animated about things that I'm passionate about, but I very rarely actually feel a lot of anger toward anyone about anything. Um, and when I do, I still use that as an opportunity to try and discover what's going on for me in that situation and is this worth getting angry about. I agree. I think it's a great first take home, actually. Oh, great. Boom. Sweet. Is that cool? Yeah, man. Yeah, because rather than summarizing again, like, bam, that's a good take home. The next take home I would have for listeners would be just reorienting back to the the research on these sort of things starting to come, to come together. It's a pretty cool time, I think, to be able to access those. So that one was that evidence-based kernel idea. If you want to be really nerdy, jump into that. Or if you want something that's a little more consumer-friendly and easier to jump into, that What Works Clearinghouse is you google that it's the top hit um it is i'll make sure to include it on the show notes though perfect uh what else how are we going to summarize this anger management uh i mean i feel like we kind of we hit it pretty hard i think you know just going back to this idea of when you're dealing with anger having some strategy for what you're going to do in a situation rather than just not doing something Mm -hmm. is going to be one of the most helpful demonstrating the appropriate behavior will allow other people to do the same thing and being around people who demonstrate the kind of reactions to anger that you would like to be um, can also help you to adopt those kind of strategies and being I I guess self-reflective of how you are in situations and being able to sort of step back and look at yourself and both in the context of what is in line with your goals and your values and what is not um, can be helpful so I think those that's sort of how I would summarize those those major points. Cool. So that's anger management. Sweet. We made it. I think we did it. All right. Thanks for listening. Yeah. As always, you know, subscribing to the show means that you don't miss any episodes, which is great. Um, also uh, helps us know like how many people are listening and to, you know, what people want to hear. Yeah. And if you have any experiences you want to share about your anger management strategies, we would love to hear them. We'd be happy to read them on the air, so to speak, since we're not really live, but read them on the episode. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So feel free to write to us. Uh, all that information is at the, the end tag there. And of course, you can reach out to us on social media. Cool. So this is Ryan O. This is Abraham. We are out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWDWWDpodcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.